Hello and welcome to the Top Story, a podcast with headlines of the day from our correspondents around the world. I'm Tian Yu. Coming up in this edition, dozens of people are dead following a magnitude 7.6 earthquake in Japan. A man has attacked South Korea's main opposition leader with a knife. Israel is planning to shift tactics and cut back on troop numbers in Gaza. We start with Asia. At least 48 people are dead following a magnitude 7.6 earthquake in Japan. Tsunami warnings were in place but have since been lifted. Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida says an aero inspection has revealed damage, including blocked roads and fire destructions. We have been making all efforts to gather information since yesterday evening. But the blockage of roads means it is extremely difficult to access the northern part of the Noto Peninsula. We have information that a thousand self-defense force personnel have arrived in the region. In addition to the area's own police, fire service, self-defense force and coast guard units, we have received reports from other regional police forces that 634 disaster relief personnel and 2,039 fire service personnel have arrived in the area. The government had sent self-defense force troops to aid recovery efforts. There have been more than 150 tremors and aftershocks. We bring in Patrick Falk from Tokyo for more details. It's been described as a battle against time now to save lives really. There is difficulty in trying to reach some of them because of the considerable damage to roads that we've seen in particular. Meanwhile, the meteorological agency has lifted all tsunami warnings, but it says that there could still be tidal changes. The main thing that they're really keeping on alert for, though, is the potential for further shocks. And Japan's meteorological agency has said that there could be major earthquakes still to come, possibly as big as the quake that we saw, particularly over the course of the next two to three days. So this is a nervous and concerning situation here for people in Japan still. There's also this concern as well uh, about the impact it might have on nuclear plants. There have been no irregularities reported so far at the nuclear plants uh, along the coast of the Sea of Japan, I should say, and uh, the main reactor closest to the epicenter of the quake was actually shut at the time that it took place. Uh, But, you know, this is having a psychological impact on people in Japan and bringing back memories of the 2011 Fukushima disaster. No doubt this is going to prompt further discussion about the safety of nuclear power in Japan. That was Patrick Falk on the earthquake in Japan. In South Korea, a man has attacked the country's main opposition leader with a knife. Local media say Lee Jae-myung was stabbed in the neck while taking questions from reporters in Busan on Tuesday morning. Police arrested the attacker at the scene. Officials say Lee is conscious and receiving treatment at hospital. Jack Barton reports from Seoul. We're told he underwent some surgery down there at the Busan National University Hospital for a one-centimeter gash on his neck. According to his party, the Democratic Party, the jugular vein uh, inside uh, his neck was nicked by that blade. And, of course, that is extremely dangerous. So while we're hearing that his condition 
is not life-threatening at the moment. The Democratic Party is saying that uh, the injury that he has could still lead to massive internal bleeding. So there is concern. Uh, we've just had a lot of movement around here. Lots of police have just turned up, formed a cordon, and some ambulance have turned up here at the emergency centre uh, where E.J. Myung is being treated. Uh, but at the moment, it appears that it's not life-threatening, even though that wound uh, does, according to the Democratic Party, seem very serious. They have, of course, called for an immediate investigation into how this could have happened. They say it's an attack on democracy. It never should have been allowed to happen in the first place. And the police have responded, saying they will launch an immediate investigation into how this could have occurred and that they will boost security for all politicians to try and ensure this doesn't happen again. And the president, Yoon Song-yeol, of, uh, of course, ordering all efforts be made uh, to try and help E.J. Myung. That was Jack Barton reporting. 59-year-old Lee served as a member of the National Assembly. He was the Democratic Party's nominee for last year's presidential election in South Korea. He went on a hunger strike of more than 20 days last year to protest policies from the government of President Yoon Suk-yeol. In China, new measures on facilitating travel between Taiwan and Fujian province on the Chinese mainland have taken effect. It is part of the plan for integrated cross-strait development. Chen Yilin has more. On the first day of 2024, Taiwan resident Zhang Liqi got the news that he could settle in Xiamen, a port city in Fujian province. Zhang is the first to receive a residential permit for the city under new mainland travel policies that came into effect on Monday. They include shortening the approval time from 20 to 10 working days. I'm very excited to settle in Xiamen. I have my research program here. The policy brings more opportunity for us young people to develop our career. I'm now at the Xiamen Wutong Ferry Terminal, one of the main ports for Taiwan compatriots to travel to the Chinese mainland. And the new policies have now also streamlined the application process, making it easier for them to travel or leave. My five-year travel permit to the mainland recently becomes invalid. Now I can apply for it at the port. It is very convenient for businesses. The application for five-year mainland travel permits used to be operated by the Entry-Exit Administration, but now it can be done at the port of entry. The permit will then be mailed to the applicants. It saves a lot of time and cost. Now with this five-year mainland travel permit, Taiwan compatriots who come to Fujian can also have access to public services, including electronic payments, medical services, and transportation. Meanwhile, applications for a single-entry travel permit that's valid for up to three months can also be completed online. That was Chen Yiling reporting from Xiamen. Tuesday marks 40 years since China became an official member of the International Atomic Energy Agency. More than 50 nuclear power units are in operation across the country today. China's first indigenous nuclear power plant is setting new records. Zheng Yibing visited Qingshan Nuclear Power in eastern China and spoke with General Manager Shang Xianghe. China's very first nuclear power plant, Qinshan, set a record high in 2023 of nearly 97% in its Unity Capability Factor, or UCF, based on statistics provided by the World Association of Nuclear Operators, known as VANL. 
UCF is a key indicator Vano uses to evaluate the performance of nuclear power plants. The feat is achieved by factoring in overall performance across nine power units in the plant. The management level can be better reflected through multi-units over a long operating time. Only one unit having a high score does not represent outstanding management. All power units having a superior performance truly means it has good status. The manager says many factors in the plant have contributed to the result from overhaul, optimization and device reliability to innovation, motivation and levels of digital transformation. It adds that information across these areas is shared with Vano. More than 400 power units around the world have joined Vano, and everyone shares information with the organization based on the principle of openness and transparency. The unit capacity factor is an important indicator of the performance of a power plant. The power plant was launched in 1991. Its newest and nice power units was put into commercial use in 2015. The manager says it took about 15 years to increase the overall UCF from 80% to the current levels. And they will continue the trend while sharing information with others. Tingshan Nuclear Power's good traditions could be taken as an example, showing China's determination to use nuclear energy safely and to benefit the people. That was Zheng Yibing reporting. Turning to the Middle East, Israel has announced plans to shift tactics and cut back on troop numbers in Gaza. An official says the military will draw down forces inside Gaza this month and shift to a phase of more localized mopping-up operations that will last for months. Residents in Gaza say they have noticed that Israel has pulled some of its tanks out of some districts. Israeli Defense Minister Yoav Garland says some communities in northern Gaza will soon be able to return home. A U.S. official says Israel's decision appears to signal the start of a shift to lower-intensity operations in the region. Associated Press correspondent Isabel Debris reports. The Israeli military said that it was withdrawing several thousand troops from the Gaza Strip. That's up to five brigades in the first major publicly announced drawdown since the beginning of the war. We know that this comes as President Biden, as well as other world powers, have been pressuring Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu to move into a new phase of the war that involves more targeted strikes against high-value Hamas targets. This decision to withdraw these troops comes just a couple days before Secretary of State Antony Blinken is expected in the region to discuss this very issue of where the war is headed, even though this could mean a new phase of the war, maybe a scaled-down phase. It in no way signals the end of the war. That was very clear today as Israeli strikes continued to rain down on the Gaza Strip with at least 156 Palestinians killed specifically in that central area. And as the clock struck midnight into 2044, Hamas actually fired a massive barrage of rockets towards central and southern Israel, setting off air raid sirens, though not causing damage. But people in Tel Aviv, as fireworks were going off, also saw interceptions of Hamas rockets. And of course, this shows that nearly 90 days into this war that was so devastating, Hamas still has the ability to fire this amount of rockets, something we haven't seen in several days. That was Isabel Debris with the Associated Press. Finally, in Africa, Egypt is one of five new members that joined BRICS at the start of the new year. The North African country hopes its partnership with major emerging economies, including China, will propel its development into a new era. Atlil Maruki reports from Cairo. 
Excitement fills Egypt as its membership is expected to extend a hand to its struggling economy. It enriches Egypt's economic strength through access to a block that is home to 40% of the world's population. This block will help Egypt decrease the deficit in its trade balance. It will help decrease the high demand on the US dollar. If we shift trade off the block to local currencies, it will help Egypt's digital transformation to become a cashless society. The membership represents a significant shift in Egypt's foreign relations on an economic level and on the strategic political levels. Egypt's finance ministry, trade and industry ministry and the prime ministry as well as the private sector are all preparing for this move. To ensure an effective role and maximize the benefits of its membership, Egypt says it's forming a BRICS committee. The new government arm will include representatives from several cabinets as well as national financial institutions and will be the negotiations hub with the group's other members. It is very important to have a central unit to uh, follow what's going on on, on one or uh, couple of, of files. When you have an office like that, he will be in, in, in charge of all the details and some experts will be there in order to facilitate whatever we face. Egypt already has free trade agreements with Africa and some Latin American countries. The BRICS expands its outreach, opening a potential for the North African nation to grow its manufacturing capacities and boost exports. With access to the bloc's new development bank, Egypt gains a more diverse option for financing its developmental aspirations. In 2024, BRICS will be growing faster than ever with new rising partners. With 10 countries from three continents, it's becoming the voice of the global south, bringing together countries like Egypt and Ethiopia, Saudi Arabia and Iran. BRICS is turning nations with proud histories into strong business allies. That was Atla Maruki on new hopes for Egypt within the BRICS group. Drivers in Tanzania adopting natural gas for their cars due to increasing prices of the pump amid a cost-of-living crisis. About 2,000 cars already used what was called compressed natural gas or CNG in the country. But now the government is looking to encourage even more people to switch to this cost-effective fuel. Isaac Lucando reports. Vehicles powered by compressed natural gas or CNG are on the rise in Tanzania. Driver argues they emit 25% less CO2 and are 50% cheaper than cars that use ordinary fuels. If you earn, say, 40 US dollars, a person using petrol will have used not less than $16 worth of fuel. You can't compare that to someone using gas who spends just $8 and makes the same amount of money. To cut costs, the government now plans to convert its fleet of vehicles from petrol or diesel to CNG. Regions such as Dodoma, Arusha, Mwanza and Beya, these are big cities with many vehicles that need this service. We can't transport this type of gas via pipelines because it's costly. We must invest in small-scale LNG liquefaction systems, put the gas in tankers and transport it to these regions. Some environmentalists in the country, while hailing CNG as a cleaner fuel compared to diesel and petrol, are also quick to point out some of its drawbacks. It still exacerbates uh, the impact of climate change, especially on countries from the global south, from its extraction uh, uh, to its usage, because it's methane. 
and uh, methane is uh, quite more potent than carbon dioxide. At a cost of about 800 US dollars per conversion, adoption of CNG in Tanzania appears to be dragging, something the government wants to speed up with subsidies. But for now, dreams of a more affordable driving experience have scores of Tanzanian motorists courting the idea of one day switching to natural gas. That was Isaac Lucando reporting. Recapping today's headlines. Dozens of people are dead following a magnitude 7.6 earthquake in Japan. A man has attacked South Korea's main opposition leader with a knife. Israel is planning to shift tactics and cut back on troop numbers in Gaza. And that's it for this edition of The Top Story, a podcast that brings you world headlines every weekday. For more news in politics, business, sports, and culture, you can subscribe to The Beijing Hour, a one-hour podcast news magazine program. We welcome and appreciate all ratings and reviews. I'm Tian Yu. Thank you for listening.